I think one of the worst things you can do is assume that what worked at your last adventure is gonna be the playbook for the next one. And I've definitely worked for or with VPs or CXOs that brought in a playbook mentality before listening to their team, their customers, their future customers, and fail flat versus the ones that came in, humbly listened to their team, sought feedback from the market, and then architected something that really worked. This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast, here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your potential, then this show is for you. I'm Sheena Badani. And I'm Devin Reed, coming to you from the Gong Studios. To create a high-performing go-to-market machine, you have to understand the wants and needs of your customer. From his time at Nike and now Rent Dynamics, Chief Revenue Officer Mike Wolber has learned this lesson time and time again. While he used to unilaterally dictate the playbook, his words, not mine, he now takes a new, more impactful approach to leading his revenue teams to success. If you're ready to enable your revenue teams to work more efficiently and effectively, you'll find tremendous value in Mike's sage wisdom on daring greatly, going where your competitors won't, and nailing product market fit. Before we jump into today's episode, I have a quick question for you. What are you doing on June 21st? I want to personally invite you to our upcoming Celebrate Virtual Conference happening on Tuesday, June 21st. You'll hear from revenue leaders at the world's fastest growing companies, including a fireside conversation with Forrester on how to scale and up-level your organization, how to increase deal predictability and drive revenue via Gong Lab's analysis of 10,000 sales opportunities hosted by yours truly, and you'll get a preview into major upcoming product releases from Gong. Register today and you'll be the first to know when we make the big announcement. The link to get your seat is in the show notes, or you can jump over to celebrate.gong.io. Now, back to the show. Mike, welcome to Reveal. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks a ton, man. I'm honored and super excited to be here. Let's dive into who you are before we dive into our topic today, which is how to win and dominate new verticals. So you're the CRO at Rent Dynamics. Can you give me the, the high level view? What are you working on as CRO and what is Rent Dynamics all about? I'm Chief Revenue Officer at Rent Dynamics. I am overseeing the entire customer choreography, which is what I call it. So sales, account management, and marketing. And as a company, we're a real estate focused product. We are exclusively serving the multifamily sector. And we've got three core products that are truly impacting residents across their entire experience with multifamily or apartment communities across the entire country. Customer choreography. You you smiled when you said that. I think you knew I was going to dive into that. I've never heard that in all my days. So tell me a little bit more about what that is and maybe why you, you call it that. So kind of a, a micism is that I worked for Nike for the first five years out of my career, and I just fell in love with the power of branding. And jumping into vertical specific technology after that, I really just realized that if you want to bring people along in your career, the more that you can do to brand things and to anchor people in the success of programs, the more good you can do to raise the boat within your organizations. When I joined Rent Dynamics, I did a lot 
early in my listening tour and saw an opportunity to like really brand the organization. So we call ourselves Team Go to Market, but we're all focused on making the customer choreography or experience from the first time they hear about us in marketing to making that renewal really predictable and CX a great experience for everybody involved. I like that a lot. I like that a lot as a, as a past seller and a current marketer that's hitting home for me. I could easily take a hard right turn and we could focus on that for this podcast, but I'll refrain because throughout your career, you've always worked at vertical specific software companies. So I'm curious, can you give us a quick rundown? What are those verticals that you've served? The umbrella industry that I've served for the last eight years since leaving Nike has been real estate. But really specifically within the real estate category, the three verticals I've been focused on have been multifamily. So think apartment communities, senior living, tons of different care levels within that. So independent uh, assisted and then self-storage. So a very incredible business, even though it's really boxes with people's stuff in it. But those have been the three I've been focused on. Yeah, I got images of storage wars for the last one. I'm sure you've heard that joke before, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So what are the advantages of being a vertical solution? Like why, why is that kind of your thing? Cause I know you also host a podcast on that topic as well. When you look at outside looking in, it's like, well, why don't you just use enterprise technology in these super niche or, or nuanced verticals? But I think that's really the why behind it. You know, you start to jump into technicality integration is different or the way that companies run their business when they're really, really focused, it's different or the people or the customer. It's just a little bit different. And I think that the TAM for Gong is, is certainly different than the TAM for the businesses I've been a part of, but the table stakes are still super high. And I think for me, being able to really, really nail both product market fit and go-to-market fit in these vertical specific solutions is hard. But once you get it right, you really have a massive opportunity. I might be getting ahead of myself, but I'm curious because I'm imagining now like competitive deals for you all. And so I'm thinking like, what would companies be missing by not having a vertical specific solution? Does that give you a competitive edge, I imagine, in certain deals? Yeah, it does. Like without getting into our product at all today, like one of the one of our core offerings is is a CRM. So we have a CRM that on-site teams use to turn prospective residents into happy residents that live there. And one of the questions outside looking in that we get all the time is, well, why don't we just use Salesforce or HubSpot, enterprise tech? And the nuance within integration or the way that they're operating their businesses, it's just so different that someone a long time ago made a decision to go vertical specific. And now there's a huge category of real estate CRMs. It's almost like an onion. There are just so many different layers that kind of make certain tech just perform better when it's truly designed for that specific category or in this case, vertical. So your team, right? So you're leading a team. How, how large uh, is your kind of your go-to-market team or team GTM? Last year, we scaled our business from 91 to 141 full-time employees while growing revenue by about 80% year over year. My org last year, when I joined, we were 18. Now we're about 34 people across sales account management and marketing and constantly looking at the data to decide what the next headcount needs needs to be across that whole team. But I've got three great leaders and they've got great teams within them. And I'm really, really proud about the team we're building. As you're building that team, because you're vertical specific, are you looking for people who have that background in that specific vertical or maybe people that have vertical specific background, but not, not that vertical? Totally. So there's three different types of people I love to hire. As a leader, like a huge hiring plus for me has been if you're hungry, humble, and smart, 
if I align to being a great coach, like I can turn you into being a great part of our team. What I've seen is that an eclectic team wins. And so folks that come from within the same vertical, always helpful. They bring a, a book of business. If they've done a good job in the past, that usually means pipeline for them pretty quickly. If they've been part of a different vertical, pharmaceutical, eyewear, you can think of all sorts of different ones that are still quite big. They understand what it looks like to go deep versus going wide. And I think that's helpful. And I've also had a lot of success bringing people in from the enterprise, Microsoft, Oracle. And so I think an eclectic group then understands enterprise sales methodologies and things like that. A little bit of everything is really feeding into the playbook that I'm trying to assemble. Diversity of expertise in action there. For sure. And I know for you, you talk about it a lot on LinkedIn, but even diversity and background, like I, some of the best people that have sold for me had degrees and things that were so far from even the realm of business. And I think there's a lot of good things that happen when you get an eclectic group together, especially in customer facing positions. Uh, I, I've got an English degree and I went to school to be a teacher. So look, look at me now, you know, you never know. So for the, for the sales motion, right? So how does a vertical specific sales motion differ from the enterprise motion? It's an awesome question. And it's one of those things that like, I think when you, you jump in to a sales motion, it's really important to listen before you act, especially when you're defining a motion for that respective vertical, because I've hired and worked with a lot of leaders that came in from the enterprise, big, big, big technologies and the billions of dollars of cap rates. And they assumed that the thing they did would be successful here. And here's an example of a nuance in the real estate space that blows a lot of people's minds. Conferences still drive a tremendous amount of pipeline in real estate because a lot of transactions for properties, when they're selling these big multifamily complexes, they're still revolving that around an in-person cadence of conferences. So for us, like that's one of the most important pieces of our sale, even though to a lot of people in the enterprise, that's archaic because the pandemic kicked in, we all went virtual and we've done just fine. Those are the kinds of things really worth studying, listening to make sure that what you architect matches with where your customers are truly spending their time. Makes a lot of sense. And, and I've heard that before too. And, it, and I don't think it's, it's not a knock on folks with enterprise background. I think it's, I think it's just a mindset of like, well, what worked for me in this realm, you know, worked so well, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it applies over here, right? We've heard it other folks on the show, like one of the biggest mistakes you can make of like launching into a new geography, especially if you're in the States moving to, to Europe or EMEA is like assuming the sales process will be about the same and the marketing should land about the same. It's like, no, you gotta be careful with some of those assumptions. I think whether you're like just checking your ego before stepping into a new position or definitely before coming from a, a bigger, wider motion in like the enterprise to a vertical specific one, I think one of the worst things you can do is assume that what worked at your last adventure is going to be the playbook for the next one. And I've definitely worked for or with VPs or CXOs that brought in a playbook mentality before listening to their team, their customers, their future customers and fail flat versus the ones that came in, humbly listened to their team, sought feedback from the market, and then architected something that really worked. And I think there's, you know, there's also a balance there because especially in leadership, you want to prove yourself pretty quick. That's, that is part of the role. Yeah. You want that quick win. Everybody does. I've had a few execs join Gong and I like when I've heard a couple of times I'm on a listening tour right now. I'm not here to make any decisions or assumptions. I'm here in the intake process which seems to serve them well, because like you said, you get more information, right? Now you can take past experience and current scenario uh, and make even better, better choices. It's like one of the easiest ways 
to get wins while also bringing people along, which I think especially in leadership is super important when you're making changes, new technology. I implemented three massive technologies in our team last year. And if I'd done that rogue, could have run a huge risk on not getting adoption and buy-in for my team, which would have meant no insight for me as the executive over revenue versus listening and understanding where the pain, where the problem was. And a lot of it was in tech. And then what an opportunity to go get a win because I listened to the team first. So I think we can all learn from going a little bit slow early so we can really accelerate and go faster later on. Let's uh, shift a little bit here because you're vertical specific. I've said that probably five times now. I might say it five more times in this one. Not something in my everyday vernacular, but some folks listening might be going into new verticals, right? Maybe they're launching a new product uh, specifically for vertical. Maybe they're taking their current product to a new vertical. What are some of those risks of being vertical specific? In our prep call, you had mentioned if you get it wrong, you get it wrong in a big way. Let's start with the latter, like getting it, getting it wrong and like the impact that makes. I think you look at like a total, let alone a serviceable, addressable market for Gong compared to Rent Dynamics, much different numbers. And I think for me, when you get it right in a small industry, there's this incredible flywheel effect because word of mouth, we're hearing Chris Walker talk a lot about dark social right now. We are winning in the world of dark social by playing into the voice of our customer and creating this flywheel effect. But at the same time, if you get that wrong and have a couple botched deals or really unhappy customers or whatever the thing might be in a smaller industry, you run a big risk of impacting your ability to go win deals in that given market. Or in my case, it's really hard to hire if the reps who have worked for you in the past had a hard time selling. And you know, it's all about acceleration and it's all about throughput. And I think when you get it right, you just can go so fast and momentum feels so good in a vertical specific environment. But once that momentum slows down, it takes a ton of calories to get that thing back going and in motion, whether that's on the sales side, the retention side, or I spend a ton of time recruiting for sure. That makes a lot of sense. That word of mouth is so powerful, which is challenging because, you know, you, you don't really, you don't, it's not captured very often, right? It happens in, in text messages and, and passive conversations and stuff. But yeah, when the word gets out, like, eh, it's not really that great of a place to work or, you know, the product's not that good. I was only with it for three months before ditching it. That has a huge, a huge impact. So as folks are rebuilding the strategy, going about scaling it in that kind of realm, what are some of the risks that they should look out for? Maybe the pitfalls. Some of the pitfalls are not truly understanding the market you're trying to serve before you step into it. And I think that Mark Roberts talks about it a ton in a lot of his literature, been to some of his seminars, have actually been able to do some one-on-one -on -one mentorship with him. And there's a big difference between getting product market fit and go-to-market fit right. And I think that it's really easy to assume that you look at this industry, you think the technology is dated. You're going to bring in something really sexy. You're going to throw AI on top of it and it's going to land. It's going to kill it. You're going to go raise some money a little early and you're going to go. And in my experience, product market fit is important, but it's also important to objectively do market research to understand the why behind why those current technologies and incumbents exist. And then to understand if that market is going to have the appetite for change, because a lot of industries, especially small industries, use laggard technology for a reason. There's a lot of businesses in the USA that still run their business off of a three ring binder that could be disrupted, but there's reasons why they have not been yet. So I just think being, being thoughtful, being research focused 
and not being too fast. I think when you go in too fast, you're on a huge risk of getting it wrong in, in a big way. I want to call out something real quick. You've mentioned now Chris Walker and Mark Robert. So I can tell you're a true student of the game because these are people I'm, I'm familiar with. Mark Robert actually was the first person on Reveal uh, a few years back. I can tell the way that you're, you're approaching learning about this stuff. So how do you go about understanding your market better, right? Maybe this is you, you're already in it. Maybe you're entrenched, you already know, but maybe to start, did you come from Nike knowing real estate really well, or were there some actions you kind of took to say, Hey, let, let me and the team really understand what's going on here. How do you go about that? There are a couple of things that have worked really well for me personally, that have become kind of part of the, the Mike Wilbur playbook, if you will. I think that one of the, the biggest lessons I took from Nike was this like radical obsession with understanding the customer. And I always thought it was weird when I worked there because these high paid executives would fly out all over the world, not just the US to meet with consumers. And it was all about the consumer. And I'd be like, why are you flying to Japan to meet with kids that wear our running shoes when we wear their running shoes? We're their consumer. Can't we just talk to ourselves? Like very ignorant of me. And what I realized is, is that the reason that the Nike flywheel has gone so strong is that Phil Knight just set this tone that it was all about delighting the consumer and anticipating what the consumer was going to need next. And as I joined a smaller company, G5, where we first got in touch, I think you realize that if you keep your customer close to your chest, you learn the voice of the customer. And if you can know your customer, there's a great chance that you can codify what your future customer needs as well. And I think it's one of the, the big things I've taken super seriously. It's why I'm so active on LinkedIn and so few of my competitors are not, is that if I can be in front of them early and often, I know it works, I know it doesn't. It helps us craft the value proposition. Our demos, they kill it because we understand why our customers choose to stay. So social is a fantastic place. Speaking of archaic and like three ring binders, which, which is fine if you're listening and, and I don't know, writing notes from this episode in one. It's a fantastic place to get feedback and right and, and almost real-time feedback right as you're like testing messaging you can really observe what's working and to your point this is a landscape or an arena that you're dominating because you're the only one there right if other people aren't even there trying to compete with you in that that arena and that social space uh, it gives you tons and tons of green room to get that market feedback yeah, i think there's like these two conflicting schools of thoughts in go to market one is like meet people where they are and market to them where they want to be marketed to or, or whatever it might be. And I think there's like a total conflicting statement with that, which is be where your competitors aren't and do things that you're comfortable doing, even if they're hard to measure, like social or podcasting. And I think for me, that's become a big part of our motion is just doing things that our competitors aren't doing, things that aren't necessarily scalable, but things that truly turn customers into raving fans and win the hearts and minds of people. And I think that when you play the long game, really good things happen when you do that kind of stuff, newsletters, posting daily, all that kind of stuff. I feel like you just not took a page out of my playbook, but like we're reading from the same book because I agree with, with all of those, all of those things, which unfortunately, you know, a lot of teams won't go build where they can't measure super clearly or the attribution isn't linear. So I'd love to see you using that uh, to your advantage there. Speaking of measuring, and I know I'm you know, against attribution there for a sec, but you, know, you talked about getting it right. I've got this flywheel going. How do you measure that? What are some of the, the metrics that you're looking at to say, okay, things are accelerating at the right speed, maybe any kind of potential risk? Like, I'm curious, what does Mike Wolber look at from a metric standpoint in this regard? I think there are probably a lot of head nods for anyone who's in the like revenue office. It's all about revenue. It's all about predictable revenue. And it's all about that because it's all, it's all that my boss cares about. I work for our CEO. 
marketing sourced revenue is the most amazing metric ever because it shows me that no matter how people found us, like marketing is opening up opportunities for our sales team. We're not doing MQLs. We're really focused on sourced revenue from marketing. I think that one of the things I look at a lot is pipeline velocity. So understanding the speed that we're seeing pipeline move through our sales funnel. And that's a really important thing for us so we can understand how we can improve the sales motion to make sure that it's good, both from a sales experience, but also that we're focused on the right segment within the market because we compete with companies that are better served for the enterprise where we're more served for like the mid market, for example. And that's okay to me. And so understanding where you're winning the fastest then feeds into the last one, which is NRR, like net revenue retention is really important, not just client retention, but like the overarching growth within our book of business. And when we see the certain segments that are really growing like 150 plus percent NRR year over year, that helps us really understand where we should emphasize our focus. And so those are probably the three core ones that I spend the most time really thinking about. Mike mentioned pipeline velocity here, which is the speed at which your customers are moving through your sales funnel. But how do you calculate pipeline velocity? Here's a quick equation. First, take the number of sales qualified leads that are in your pipeline. Multiply that by your average deal size, then by the percentage of your overall win rate. After multiplying those three numbers, divide that by the average length of your sales cycle. There you have it, you got your pipeline velocity. UserPilot reports that many sales leaders have determined that a good sales velocity meets 70 to 80% of the set sales quota. You can use that as your barometer for success. It's critical that sales and marketing teams are aligned and continually monitoring where you see dips, where prospects are leaving, and how you can adjust to keep them engaged. Let's hop back in to learn how. I love when I hear marketing focused on revenue. Why sales and marketing don't don't align? Well, when the end goal, when their North Star is not the same, there you go. It's pretty clear. And so, yeah, take it or leave it. MQLs can be good early indicators in my book. You know, like it, it definitely is is not a bad thing. But to your point, if that's if that's the end goal for marketing, and then sales is worried about well the dollar signs and actually getting revenue, you can read between the lines there. So, Mike, I've been at a few companies on the sales side where. They're cracking open a new vertical, right? Big, usually top three strategic initiative for the whole company that year is get into this new vertical. We've touched on it before a little bit today, but how do you know when you're really ready to take that on? It's a great question. One of the things that's important is to understand what your end goal is as a business. And I think one of the things I've experienced and I've also heard about through mentorship and friends I know in in various industries is a lot of companies move too fast to open up that second vertical or that second market, even like you talked about with opening up a new geo. And I think it's really important to, to understand where your product is best suited to win within an industry. Not everyone's going to be able to win in the small kind of corporate segment, the mid-market and the enterprise within their space. And I think it's really easy to get excited when you start to get momentum in one segment And then to assume that the best thing you can do is open up a second vertical. One of the biggest decisions we made was to not open up a new vertical, but to move up market. And so we opened up a national accounts program and we went up market within the marketing realm. And it it was the two biggest growth years during the six years I was there was moving up market within the same industry. And so I think there's always options to segment the sales org or to go down market to more of a self-service model 
which are all amazing opportunities within a given vertical. And I think my ultimate advice would be get as many playbooks as you can. And then when you decide to go into a new one, assume that it will all be different. So you don't make those mistakes that we talked about earlier on in the podcast. I like that a lot. And so how do you prepare? What are some of the pitfalls that our listeners can be on the lookout for? There's a sniff test in sales and a sniff test in marketing that really matters. I think that authenticity is important. I'm a huge fan of the challenger sale. And I think one of the things that I've always applied and my teams now apply is that teaching for differentiation is a huge opportunity still in 2022. When I say the sniff test, like you're talking to a business owner and you want them to believe that you have something that they need. And if you cold call or send them a message or whatever the medium is to get their attention and it doesn't hit their expectation, good luck getting them to take that call or that meeting. Here's an example. In multifamily, it's a resident. And if you say resident to someone who's in self-storage, they're like, what's a resident? It's a, it's a tenant. And language matters. And if I cold call a storage operator and say, hey, we've got a great service. Your residents are going to love it. I'm not going to pass the sniff test. And in sales, the sniff test really matters. It would have been a a great customer, but you got the dial in correct. So I think that's where making sure you're really thoughtful so you can play the long long game as you enter a new vertical is super important, even though that sounds pretty tactical. You know what? It's tactical, but if you don't have, if you haven't thought that out and then you don't have the insight to see that that's happening, you can be going through this motion and not understanding why you know, your strategy isn't working. It's like, well, at the finish line, you're saying the wrong words that are not resonating. We did a similar ish exercise as we're starting to go and have been going to verticals outside of our industries, uh, outside of tech, people don't call reps, they're called agents in certain verticals. And so getting that right is super important. Yeah, it's tactical, but the way that you talk about things internally typically is how you end up talking about them externally. So if you don't make that a very conscious decision internally, like you said, it'll start to bleed out in those really important uh, executive conversations, whether it's in a cold call or, or a closing call. For sure. And I mean, one of the things that's like worked well for me is really obsessing having tactical relevance in the sales cycle. And so my board saw you know good signs of sales success in the back half of last year and was like, let's throw gas in the fire. Let's add more reps and let's go hard on this new product line. And my mentality was, no, let's make sure we have the motion right before we bring reps in so they can be successful. So I operated as a frontline AE for months to understand the best demo, use Gong to really validate the feedback we were getting against competitors. And we codified a literal sales playbook. So as we brought on new reps, we're exceeding ramp, we're getting them to successful, and it's becoming a compelling reason for the team to say yes to working here. And I think all that stuff it matters everywhere, but I really think it matters more when you're in a smaller industry. I, I love that. Getting back in the trenches, uh, as it's called, and learning. That's great. Last question. What about attacking multiple new verticals at once? I think it can work. I think it totally can. I think that one of the things that is dependent on the company, the funding, like the phase that you're in as a business, is that when you try to have a go-to-market team serving multiple verticals, it can be really hard to almost like compartmentalize from this customer to this customer when they are in different worlds. And uh, objection that you can receive from investors is that your org structure can seem top heavy when you're going at multiple verticals. Because one of the things that I've seen work really well is verticalizing your organization structure as much as you can. A vertical specific marketing team that's focused on the place for that specific customer. Vertical specific sales teams, vertical specific CX teams. 
And it's like, wait, we have eight VPs and we're, we're only $10 million. And I think that's where once you figure out what's working, there is a great chance you can scale it. And I'd say having that two to four year plan and having really good alignment with your investors and the runway you're going to need is super important. Because when you try to spread a team too thin across too many different you know, plays, too many verticals, I think that's where you run some risk if you don't have the overhead to support it. How would you describe sales in one word? Adrenaline. Interesting. Of all of our interviews, we've never had that answer. Would you mind elaborating? I hate to lose and I love to win. I'm the person who can't ever answer that question because I like and hate both. Being part of a winning team is the most addicting feeling in the world. And building highly functioning winning teams is even better. And I think there's an adrenaline factor. And one of the things that I think for me I've learned over the past couple plays is that Sales sets the tone for a business and gong is like the epitomizes it. The motion, the winning mentality, it's everywhere. I follow probably 50 of your AEs and I'm a two-time buyer. And I will say that when you get it right and when you win, that is adrenaline. And to me, that that is the realest thing. And it's why I will forever align to revenue because you have an opportunity to set the tone for other careers and to create futures for people to change minds. I don't want to be a sales guy. Let's just try it for a year. Do you want to control your income? And all of that, all of that stuff to me just feeds into the adrenaline, which is why I said that one. I like it. And I like it a lot because you can't buy that feeling. You can't manufacture that feeling. It's only can be earned. So I got a big smile on my face. I like that a lot. So thank you for sharing your expertise. Huge honor. Thanks a ton for having me. If you want to learn more about how revenue intelligence can help your go-to-market teams, head over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard today, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening.